Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are Rabbit and Shivers. Both by Cronenberg, both involve sucking. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Did we get, uh, like, emails this week? Do we have, like, three emails to go through in our feedback session? Uh, not that I know of. Oh. Did we, did we get email? No, I don't know. I was just hoping. <laughs> well, should we That was just a really specific number. You're like, don't we have, like, three we have not gotten an email or since June seventh. Like any <laughs> any email whatsoever. We don't even get junk mail anymore. <laughs> we don't even get spam mail. Like I just looked at the spam folder and it's like no, no spam. So it's been spam free ever since the last time we checked it. <sighs> the penis enlargement people don't even want us don't even want to send us their wares. Nope. They're like this is pointless. <laughs> it's- the lost did, cause. I was getting ready to say, you know what? That kind of hurts my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, we haven't had feedback in forever. So. Don't mind me, gentlemen. I'm just taking off my pants. No. That's, it's not an acceptable thing to say. <laughs> it's so it's so hot in the back bedroom. <laughs> it's not a sexual thing. It's a sad, fat old man thing. Uh, the good news is we uh, basically forced Shutter to uh, have Joe Bob come back sometime later this year. Oh yeah, you just go right ahead and claim credit for that. Well, yeah, I mean we were we were watching it too, so we helped crash the servers. So. We assisted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So apparently, uh, Joe Bob's going to come back later this year. I don't know if it's going to be like a marathon thing again, or if they're just going to do like a quick, quick uh, series, or what they're going to do. But so the deed was not the last drive-in, as Joe Bob said it would be. I think every Friday the thirteenth, they should do something similar. They just try to get one of the horror hosts to come back. I'd be down for that. They do like a Rhonda Shears. She's still. Oh alive. my God. Gilbert Godfrey. Uh, that would be that would be amazing. Although I think Gilbert did mostly like the comedies, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. But but he still did USA up all night. So. Oh I yeah, think, totally. I think it counts. Can we get uh, Commander USA to come come on? Because that would be awesome. Or did that guy die? He might have died. Maybe bring bring Elvira back to just put a little more salt in that uh, vampire wound. 
Age-old wound. Yeah, Commander USA's groovy movies. That was only on. It was only on for four years, really. Man, they played a lot of movies in four years, though. Yeah, I'd be down if every Friday Thirteenth they brought a different like movie host back to come like do a special on Shutter. That'd be brilliant. Bring up, bring John Carpenter back to be his character for Body Bags. Oh, that'd be great too. Guess <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna get your hopes up and be disappointed when they don't. When you realize they don't listen to this podcast, and no suggestions. They're not gonna do that. They're bringing Joe Bob back, which is good. But I mean, I don't know. Like I feel <laughs> like you were awfully excited for that. To just be no, like, no, no. I am, but I mean, it's not going to have as much of an impact because he already came back. And I feel like if they switched it up and they did like, hey, remember this horror host that hasn't done a show in 20 years? Well, what if they came back for a Friday 13th? And I feel like that would cause like event programming, which doesn't really happen anymore. Like what did happen when Joe Bob came back. Yeah, but it's, it's, the servers, they don't want that. Oh, they do, because that means so many people were trying to watch it that it broke it. Hopefully that means they make so much money they can upgrade their goddamn servers. <laughs> yeah, right? I just feel like it would be fun to, to cause like events like that again. But still have Joe Bob come back, too, because that's going to yeah. be awesome as well. It was so awesome. It was awesome that they didn't like announce the movies and all that kind of stuff. So, like, yeah, I don't know. There, there's something about that that doesn't exist anymore that was awesome. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, do you have Shutter, Doug? I do not have Shutter. I think I it's available it. up there now. Yeah, it is Maybe. available up here now. I just by the time I watch all the movies I already watch, I don't have time for new streaming services. So. Uh, that's true. I'll tell you what. I swore to God I would not be getting any more streaming services, and I think I'm getting that goddamn deep sea streaming service. The Disney one? No, the DC one. Oh, the DC uh, one. DC yeah, one. I don't really care about that. Dude, it, I watched that that trailer you guys were talking about last week for Teen Titans or whatever it's called. Yeah, I was completely underwhelmed. I was like, why didn't they hire an actor for to do this TV show? I thought they should have hired one actor. <laughs> it looked like it. It felt like real, like old TV stuff before they started putting money into TV. That's what it felt like to me. I was on. I was very unimpressed. I, I don't know. I've always been a firm believer that they should hire no-name nothing actors and just roll with it. I, I don't care if they have a name. I just want them to be able to act. I didn't see anything in that uh, trailer that seemed like bad acting. Uh, well, maybe maybe you were too smitten with... Uh, it wasn't Oxstar acting. But... I, don't, I was very unimpressed anyway. You guys had me all thinking about it. I wasn't that impressed with it. Well, I'm don't, sure it's Noah's fault. Like say, said, don't, don't let me in with Noah's excitement. The, the characters with non-traditional uh, skin pigments are the correct colors. That's all that matters. That's all it takes. That's all. Yes, that is that is such a vast fucking improvement on so many comic book adaptations that that is enough to get me to watch a show. <laughs> Were you mad that Jeff Goldblum was not blue in Thor Ragnarok? A little bit. Oh. Although, wouldn't he have been red? The red king. No, Grand, Grandmaster's blue. 
Oh yeah, yeah, he's the grandmaster. God damn it! You don't even know what you're arguing for, Noah. Well, they, if I I could have sworn, didn't they combine him with two characters? Because they combined him with Red King from uh, uh, Planet Hulk and the Grandmaster, right? They like smashed them together. I don't know. I didn't read Planet Hulk. Uh, whatever. Uh. Don't Noah, do you want to tell us uh, all about the movie uh, Rabid? Uh, sure. Uh, so a porn star is out riding a motorcycle with a boyfriend. Uh, he's a dipshit. He wrecks the bike. She gets, yes, you do. Uh, she gets severely hurt. And instead of being taken to a hospital like she should have been, she is kind of abducted by a plastic surgeon who <laughs> wants to use her as a guinea pig for his thesis on skin grabs. There is no time to get her to the hospital because the, <laughs> the plastic surgery like resort is the is the only medical facility close enough by to save her life. Yeah, is... I find the whole thing suspicious. But uh, he does a bunch of plastic surgery on her. Uh, when she wakes up, it turns out she has grown an armpit vagina that has a penis with a spike in it that likes to... Uh, murder people and drain their blood, thus infecting them with a disease that's totally not rabies, but really similar to rabies. Well, to be fair, I think that just comes standard with any plastic surgery procedure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you get two facelifts, all of a sudden you've got a neck vagina that's murdering people and yeah. giving them rabies. Exactly. But it's a new strain of rabies nobody's ever seen before. So. Yeah. With an alien armpit vagina thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the fuck that thing is. Uh, yeah. And then she starts infecting people. They infect people. Uh, she's trying to get a hold of her boyfriend. Who is trying to get a hold of her. More people die. More people get infected. Boyfriend finally shows God, it's you. And then she's like, no, it's not me. I'm sad. Run away. Even though she knows it is her. And then she locks herself in a room with a guy proving that she's not causing the rabies that she clearly knows that she's causing. He reanimates, kills her. Into yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you've slightly oversimplified it. <laughs> uh, I mean, a little it's, bit, but not by it's much. Cron it's cr well, the, the problem is it's Cronenberg, so it's all weird visual cues and subtext. So they're <laughs> like, actual plot is. is as thin as thin could be. Uh, we'll get into it, but I mean, pretty much both these movies, that's kind of the description for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're surprisingly similar movies. This is just the scaled up version and the next yeah. one will be the scaled down version. I'm just going to say, although you lose out on uh, armpit vaginas in the next movie. You do. <laughs> But I mean, to, to put it in context, this movie is the Commando. The next movie is the Die Hard. Right? They're, they're very similar. They're just one is uh, on a on a bigger scope. Yeah. Wait. So which one's supposed to be better, Commando or Die Hard? Not better. I'm just saying, Commando is takes place over a large large area. They travel from place to place. There's a wider cast. Die Hard is limited to the one location within confines of the one building. Mm, okay, I'll allow it. It's an apt metaphor. <laughs> uh, 
It's not really what we're here to debate. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Uh, so what did everybody think of uh, Rabid? It was this a first time watch for anybody? Your silence is a no. Well, I know it's not a first time watch for you guys because you watched it last week. <laughs> and you told told the whole listening audience that, so we're surprising no one. And I have previously recorded podcasts about this movie, so I can't really <laughs> lie and say it's first time watch for me either. <laughs> well, so anybody who's been following along knows that this is not a first time watch for anyone. No, they also are going to not be surprised to hear hear that I fucking love this movie. This movie is great. It's like it's not even it's not good. It's great. It's. Are you just saying that because it's Canadian? I was getting ready to say, my only complaint about the movie is that at times it's so goddamn Canadian. <laughs> it, it is. It does have some very Canadianisms in it, and that does, uh, that does help the enjoyment level for me, starting with just the fact that like it's shot in Montreal when they're walking around, you sort of start to not... I don't think there was any places they went that I would actually would recognize per se, but it has that familiarity to it when it's a city you've been to a number of times mm-hmm. and uh, definitely my favorite Canadianism in the movie is when the military shows up and takes over um, which is great on two levels one is just that that's a direct reference to something that actually happened the Canadian military was sent in to set down martial law in Montreal shortly before this movie was made so they were obviously referencing that but yeah, also, I was say, uh, Joe Bob actually talked about that on the yeah. uh, on the thing, which I thought was interesting because I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why somebody outside of Canada would know that, but there was a, a political mm-hmm. crisis that involved like kidnappings of people, and the military was sent in. So obviously, there it's like the only time in history that the Canadian military has really been deployed on Canadian soil. Um, kind of a big thing in our history, but mm-hmm. uh, not something yeah. that would matter to anyone else. Yeah, he was talking about how like that helped the movie like really scare the shit out of people because they were just used to seeing these images of the military like running around the streets with you know yeah. their weapons out and stuff and now here it is like in a horror movie so well anytime anytime a horror movie can tap into a sense of realism mm-hmm. and they can just kind of grab onto something that's happening in the real world and say like oh yeah but then we're gonna add in the the horror elements mm-hmm. i think that that helps it it helps, despite the fact that this movie has like many of the tropes of a zombie film or a vampire film in it, despite the fact that it's about armpit vaginas, it still feels a little more real for people who actually would have lived through that crisis, which would have been the primary audience for this movie at the time. Mm. That was, I mean, it's before my time, before I was even alive, I believe. And, you know, I just know about it, but it still is an obvious reference for Canadians to see. But the other thing I love about that whole process is that the soldiers are so damn polite. <laughs> They're the most Canadian soldiers ever. Like they have that one checkpoint scene where everybody's coming through the checkpoint, and every time somebody gets there that doesn't have like an ID, the ID card to show they've been vaccinated, they're just like, "Could you step over here, please?" That's how they handle the people who are trying to sneak across. <laughs> Could you imagine like post 9/11 American military checkpoint, and you show up without the appropriate ID card? Just put a bullet in your head and ask questions later. <laughs> it's hilarious. Because even the one guy like runs through, nobody shoots him or anything. They just kind of walk over and like, hey, you can't do that. <laughs> hey, now, what's that all about? They'll be running. <laughs> so, 
Uh, that's what I love. Those are my, my favorite Canadianisms about the movie. Um, there are a number of moments for the movie, like where's <laughs> where's its Canadiana on its sleeve? I mean, the the theater rapist literally makes us move on her by intentionally touching her hair and then polite shaming her for getting that back like it was an accident. He's like, Jesus, I was just sitting down. Fucking bitch. <laughs> that is an interesting move. I will say, despite the, you know, just even in the current political climate, I'm comfortable saying if you're a woman and you, you decide to go into a porn theater and sit down, you got to expect to get hit on. I, I think that that's reasonable given those yeah. circumstances. Uh, I think you should probably expect to get came on. <laughs> like, and, I, anyway. and, I'm not, and I'm not saying consensually. I'm saying some gross dude's gonna smear some on you. He's gonna pull a silence of the lambs and just throw it at you. That could be why there's so many fewer porn theaters around now that might have driven down demand. I'm not sure. It's not relevant to our current discussion about this movie. Well, she was a porn actress. I mean, you know. She was going be relevant is Joe Bob uh, taught us about a new genre of film we had never heard about, which was uh, maple syrup porn. Yep. Have you ever heard of such a creature, Doug? Being no. In a... No. I think I'd find that offensive on at least two levels. What was his? I don't remember his explanation. Do you know? It was basically softcore pornography that was almost exclusively made in like French Canada during the 70s. Oh, I am aware that that exists. I just didn't know the name for it. Yeah, and it was uh, the same the same film company that made Rabbit. Uh, Cinepix is that the name of it? Sure. Apparently, Cinepix was the number one producer of maple syrup porn. <laughs> well, that's not surprising. Uh, then Joe Bob did instruct everybody not to Google maple syrup porn because you will not get what you're actually looking for. <laughs> so you got to watch this Joe Bob marathon. It's very educational. Yes, that's really helpful information. <laughs> Why aren't we talking about the movie Rabbit? Uh, <laughs> Well, so let's, let's talk about the most important scene in the movie, the one where the doctor discovers her armpit vagina and seems to be weirdly into it. <laughs> it's quite possibly the most uncomfortable fucking thing I've ever seen in a movie, and I've seen Videodrome. Oh, Videodrome. <laughs> I'm just saying, you want to talk about uncomfortable movies, Videodrome, probably number one. But this particular scene of him sitting there like rubbing it and the weird little penis thing is like moving around inside of it. And he's kind of like, eh, eh. put my dick in that. <laughs> uh, something tangentially related. Uh, I got really excited because I found out at work that there's this, like this the guy there that wants me to teach him more about like cult films because he doesn't know as much as he would like and he had never heard of Videodrome before so I'm going to make him watch it and it's going to be the most enjoyable experience ever I, I'm assuming you're inviting him over to watch it so that you can see the reactions on his face oh yeah of course Yeah. 
This isn't going to be, uh, oh, here, you can borrow my DVD. No, it's going to be like, you need to come over and watch this so that I can watch you watch it, which sounds weird, but when you watch the movie, you'll understand. <laughs> yeah, so the doctor's into her squirmy armpit vagina slash armpit penis weird thing. I'm just... I'm just saying, of all the horror in the movie, of the things that are supposed to actually like freak you out and scare you, I think that is the thing. That's the thing that actually gets me in this movie, that I'm like, oh no! This is not okay! <laughs> We're not supposed to be aroused by strange orifices appearing in awkward places. But then you have to remind yourself, this is a David Cronenberg movie, and you go, oh, okay, yeah. That, that tracks. He does love to just throw the weirdest shit possible at you on like like an odd sexual level and you'd just be like well what do you what do you guys think of that like, <laughs> we'll get into that certainly with the next film it's just like he he clearly wants to provoke a certain response from the audience and i believe he's very successful at achieving that oh um, totally but it's it's you're right it's like it's one of the weirdest things in the world to see him like poking at that and just being like yeah i guess this is kind of neat you're like but i don't know you should be horrified right now why is the character not horrified yeah the only way it could have been worse is if he had made one of those weird sounds like all right <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah yeah that's what i'm saying rated x the second he does that <laughs> so aside from the fact that it's a an armpit vagina with a stabby penis coming out of it. <laughs> Be, besides the fact that it's that instead of like you know a bite or something, it, it mm -hmm. does become a more traditional, it, like a lot of tropes from the vampire genre and the the zombie subgenre. I think it's really neat though that they kind of created their own movie based on this idea using using rabies to basically be the way that they can say, okay, well we can grab the elements of these other genres and we can use the one the elements we like the biting from the vampire movies the sort of stalking from the zombie movies but we were, we're not confined by those rules i thought that was a really clever way to make a very original movie yeah well and it's it's impressive that it can come as close as it does to other movies like the crazies yeah it's it's about as close to the fucking crazies as it gets without being called a remake of the crazies hmm well, the, yeah, the last but part it's of the also film completely is, different yeah. in different ways. Like, like armpit vaginas. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, putting it into an urban setting instead of a small town, I think they do a really good job, because I'm sure they didn't have much more budget for this than Romero would have had for the crazies, but this certainly feels a lot bigger. That's yeah. one, of the, one of the things that you can just see the difference in the quality of filmmaking from this to other, like, movies from the era that would have tackled similar subject matter is it's it's just better it just they do a really good job of establishing how the scope of this and how big it's going and some of it is just through you know the tv clips that are playing that you know that was used back in 1968 by romero it's not new um but it is used well and some of that is just by having the characters split up and go in different directions so you have like some characters that end up being over like with the police and then you gradually see the police getting infected and that whole thing happening on the one end but you've got you've still got rose the main character 
she's moved in with her friend and has gone on her little adventure. She's sort of and infected a few people along the way. So you really get the feeling like this is spreading and spreading quick. Yeah, I feel it's like it's hard this, to do on a smaller budget when you don't have like I feel like the plot point of having her like hitchhike through part of the movie. Yeah. Sort of helps set that up that it's spread. guessing you guys can't hear me. I could not hear anybody until you guys said, can you hear me? Brian, 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 can you hear us? I'm assuming he's still talking. <laughs> That's and what I was hoping. He does, and he doesn't know that he dropped out. Mother. <laughs> I, had the, I was making the most eloquent point, and I'm like, oh, these guys are like dead silent. They're not agreeing with this point at all. You know, you know what the funny thing is? Is I thought I was the one that dropped out, and I was like, "Oh man, it sounded like Brian was making a point there." <laughs> so, so my point was, the story point of having her hitchhike, I feel like helps sort of set the the world outside of the movie. The fact that she's spreading this around, yeah, from city to city, uh, you know, or whatever throughout her travels helps them understand like oh shit this shit's like spreading all over the place and it's like a very simple like we'll just film you walking down the road and we'll show you getting into multiple cars and say you're hitchhiking and that helps immediately just sort of set the story that this isn't confined to like a farmhouse or whatever like night of living dead or whatnot but it's like all over the place and it is affecting everybody yeah and it was done really well too because you like she infects the one truck driver and then we get the scene just they, they, they clip to him at like a truck stop and he's infected and he's starting to spread it to the other people at the truck stop so it gets it in your head on a subconscious level you're thinking okay so every other car that picked her up that same thing happened right mm-hmm. like that yeah. there's an old lady that picks her up well that old lady went wherever she was going and we we're also told in dialogue you have six to eight hours from the time you get infected before it really kicks in right so most of those people would be at their location in six to eight hours but it could also be eight hours away from where they started yeah and so it, it it would have spread very quickly and they don't they don't walk you through all those steps no. but it's made in such a way that you know it and you're seeing mm. it and you're thinking okay yeah like that person's infected and they drove that way and they've got like six hours where are they going to be in six hours and then it'll spread there yeah, I thought that was handled really well. Brilliant storytelling. The other thing that I think the movie does really well um, is, like, I was just kind of alluding to it, so I'll, I'll say it more specifically, but it knows when to be subtle. Um, it is very much an exploitation film in certain scenes. Um, obviously, like, a lot of the attack scenes are bloody and gory, but it also, like, there's the one time where the, the one doctor who's like 60 and has a baby for some reason and he's bringing the boyfriend back to the clinic and the whole thing is like we we know that rose the main character has spread this rabies around the clinic but we don't know how far it's gotten so we do get when they show up we get the police are there 
they've locked the situation down. They've got the one doctor who's like just going crazy. They've got him locked in a paddy wagon. We don't need to see all that. They don't need to tell us all that because if we had a big scene of the entire place going crazy, that would reduce the impact of the climax of the film, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's just they don't get sucked into that exploitation thing of show you everything, show you everything, and I think it yeah. makes the movie that much better. I agree. What about you, Noah? Any other favorite parts of the movie? I I, I really dig Marilyn Chambers' acting in the movie. I think it's really really good. It's kind of sad that she didn't. Uh, move her career over as smoothly as it should have. <laughs> I actually, yeah, I the first time I saw this movie, I remember thinking she was good, and then finding out after that she was a porn star, and I'm like, oh well, that's rather surprising to me because she's she does a very subdued performance, and she does a good job of creating a character that you actually feel sorry for, despite the fact that she's the one doing the killing and spreading the disease throughout the movie. But she has those little moments where she's like, there's one where she's with her friend in the apartment and she's trying to sneak out and the friend is trying to stop her and she's like, I don't want it to be you though. And she knows she's going to end up killing, but she doesn't want to, uh, she doesn't want it to be her friend that she takes out. Mm-hmm. And I thought those, those moments were handled really well and it required a decent amount of acting to do it. And that's something too that became much more influential in like the 80s. There was a number of vampire movies and stuff about people who were turning and didn't want to do the killing, but kind of needed to to eat. Uh, you know, Near Dark, Lost Boys, all those kinds of movies. Um, this movie is before that was a, a normal thing in filmmaking, so it's a kind of a unique idea too, right? Yeah. Now, is is Cronenberg homophobic, or does he just like to throw weird homophobic things into his movies? That's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> My feeling on that is that it's he likes to throw taboo stuff into his movies. He likes to push the lines. He likes to test the audience. And these films are from a time where homosexuality was still taboo mm. and was still considered like extreme, right? Like that's the, wow! Look at what they did. They actually showed like homosexuality in a movie. Can you believe it? Like nowadays, we wouldn't have that reaction. Yeah, I just I just think it's interesting because you know in this movie there's the the chick in the therapeutic hot tub. I'm assuming it's what it's supposed to be because there's a hot tub in the surgery center. Um, yeah, as you do. Well, it's yeah. a it's a it's we didn't even discuss that, but it is considered a like a resort for yeah. when you go to get your plastic surgeries done, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Especially. I, I was going to say, the whole thing is her interaction with the girl that's in the hot tub when she walks into the room is interesting because that girl is afraid of her way, way, way before it appears that Rose is going to do anything to hurt her. And you can tell, it's clearly she's like, oh my god, this woman's gay. i got to get out of here right fucking now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it is kind of like that. Um, she's like clearly approaching her, but I think that's part of another thing Cronenberg likes to do in his movies, which is to play up sort of a, a sexual thing and then take a hard turn into violence so that the audience is seeing one thing happen and then all of a sudden it's something completely different and I think that increases the impact of the violence. Yeah, and I mean it's also a t- an attack on her senses essentially with his love of body horror. It's like, well, let's put this woman into an uncomfortable situation from her perspective 
and then yeah, shit goes down. Yeah, because there's another, there's an interesting play on it too in the next movie. So I was just like, it's weird that they both have a moment like that. Yeah. Well, the next movie, yeah, it's it. There's definitely a lot more of the references to homosexuality and stuff in that movie. Get into that when we get there. Yeah, yeah, and one specific one I think cuts real deep. Hopefully, I remember to talk about it when we get into it. <laughs> All right. So what else do we have to say about Rabbit? I don't know. Rabbit's hard to talk about because it's such an awesome movie. There's like, there's nothing wrong with it. The gore is really good. The special effects are awesome. Special effects hold up really well for a low-budget Canadian movie from the 70s. <laughs> like, I was kind of surprised by that. I guess I was... Like, it's been a while since I watched this, and I guess I was just preparing for it to be something lesser than what it is. Um, but I think if this, like... Like, if you didn't tell people, okay, this is a low-budget Canadian movie, I don't think people would know that. You could pass this off as a big-budget 70s movie by horror standards. Yeah, I think the the beginning of the movie's a tiny bit slow, but once the violence gets going, there's like a really good uh, pace to when violence happens. If that makes sense, as it kind yeah. of like ratchets up through the movie all the way to the end, and then by the end, you're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> yeah, it yeah, should have really gone awry here. <laughs> yeah, this movie and the next one, they both have that sort of crescendo effect that '70s horror was famous for, which is just kind of gradually building, 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 and then by the time you get to your climax, it's just uh, it's just insane. But you've gotten there on a, through a logical progression, so it doesn't feel too insane. Did you guys like the? Uh, yeah. Did you like the fact that the ending is just like there's they're in dialogue saying if we could find patient zero, we could maybe stop this. And then the last shot of the movie is them loading Patient Zero's body into a garbage truck, not knowing that that's who it is. I thought that's nice and morbid for you. <laughs> Don't worry, we have a solution. We've destroyed our only solution. <laughs> Good luck sleeping tonight, audience. <laughs> is it weird that the first time I saw the movie, I was really expecting, like, those garbage guys to have Brooklyn accents and at some point be like, holy shit, she's got a fucking armpit pussy. And like, that's how the movie ends. Two guys, like, jab at her armpit pussy with a stick. <laughs> uh, that might be the best phrase ever. Jab at her armpit pussy with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> we named our episodes, that would be the name. Uh, that's hilarious. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Rabbit's awesome. How do we feel about the upcoming remake from the Sasuke sisters? I think it sounds bad in pretty much every way it can sound bad, <laughs> and I like the Sasuke sisters, so that's not saying much. Yeah, I, I'm not far behind you. I'll wait for like trailers and stuff before I make too many judgments. But I have a feeling when that movie comes out, I'm just gonna stay home and watch American Mary again. Yeah, that bums me out. Because I, I do like them. I like their filmmaking when they're allowed to just do their own stuff. But yep. their director for hire stuff has not been good. No, it seems like a lot of their strength is in their originality. And mm. if you take that out, then what do you got? Yeah. So. And is, <sighs> sorry, who's starring in the remake? Up and announced. Oh, CM Punk and uh, AJ. 
for the WWE. Yeah, you're right. No. I just, you're, you're right. I just won't watch it. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. So I don't understand it. Even when like they announced that they they were doing a remake, I was like, well, that's not a great idea. But I don't know. Maybe they'll have a good take on it or something. And then the CM Punk AJ announcement. I'm just like, what in the fucking world? So I I have no idea. Yeah how how will we ever deal with remaking a Cronenberg movie? As you know, people are going to be very sensitive about remaking a movie by a guy who's considered to be a fucking genius. <laughs> Let's just not make any attempt to <laughs> show it respect. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> I kind of wish we hadn't got this brought up. Uh. Doug, why don't you save us and tell us all about Shivers? Okay. Um, Shivers is set in a very new, very high-tech, very luxurious apartment building that is designed to be completely self-contained on an island. Uh, There are parasites that are set free within said building, infecting everybody. We come to find out that those parasites have the effect of releasing you from all your uh, sexual hang-ups and basically it's it's rage virus stuff they basically just release your, your, your instead of turning you into a savage murderer it turns you into a savage rapist and murderer it was some murder um, so yeah the the doctor the on-site doctor is sort of your main character and we follow him as he tries to figure out what is going on and when he figures out what's going on we follow him as he tries to figure out how to get the fuck out of there (laughs) spoiler alert nobody gets the fuck out of there nope Uh, so yeah rabbit rabbit with die hard kind of thing Um, yeah as much as I like rabbit for some reason I think I enjoy this one more oh really yeah I don't know if it's more um, like we talked about how with rabid, it's definitely much more of like a widespread sort of situation. So it makes it a really big story. Yeah. But then with shivers, it's like very contained in this apartment building, and it becomes widespread like after the credits roll. Yeah. But we kind of get that sort of like startup of like, well, this is how this is starting, and shit's gonna go crazy. People are gonna try to escape this building. But, you know, like we said, spoiler, nobody makes it. And so we kind of just see, like, the beginning of this. And we realize this is going to go way beyond just people trapped in an apartment building after the movie is over. And I don't know. I just find that sort of idea interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's more in keeping with um, what you would expect from a lower-budget film. They restrict the... Mm-hmm. Uh, they restrict the locations and the number of people involved in order to make it a little uh, easier to follow. I think because it's Cronenberg, again, you have a really well-made film, too, where the whole building sort of feels like you know where you are at different times when they're running around. And they use sets really well so that it doesn't feel overly confined by the fact that they're in one location. They spend yeah. some time down in the parking garage. They do go outside. They spend a lot of time by that pool and all that, and then the medical clinic that's on site and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
So they, it, it walks that line between being in like one tight confined space, but at the same time, it doesn't feel too confined. It doesn't feel like they couldn't go other places if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they really sort of zero in on the seclusion of this apartment building. The fact that it's trapped on an island and sort of everything. Like, the whole thing is built to be, like, you never have to leave, like, you know, this square mile or whatever that this apartment building's placed on. And I feel like they do a good job using that in the story. But then, yeah. you know, like you said, they do move around the building so you're not stuck like in one location for a majority of the movie. But yet you still feel trapped, which is good. Yeah. What did you guys think about the filmmaking technique of having the opening just basically be a commercial for the building so that they give you all the information you need without you know, rather than having a scroll, it's literally like an infomercial about why you should rent an apartment <laughs> in this building. I like it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a really neat way to do it. It's I guess it's not that original, but it, it was it worked really well. Um, and it like I say it's better than having characters try to figure out how to say those things out loud. <laughs> so, yeah, I like the idea of yeah, you get the infomercial and then you get sort of the guy showing a couple around the apartment building. Yeah, which it really helps. gives you a feel for where you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sets the stage really nicely. Now, the fact that the um, <laughs> the tour of the apartment building is intercut with the rape murder scene, did that? Did you find that helpful? Or <laughs> That's the example in this movie I made reference last time, how Cronenberg likes to have, like, you know, sexual, 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 then hard turn into violence. Yeah. That's the way he does it in Shivers. This is, okay, so this is his, like, debut movie. It is his, like, it's his first feature-length movie, I think. And it is the opening scenes. And he's got this old professorial looking dude who we later find out actually was a prof professor, so good casting. <laughs> um, and it looks like he's trying to rape a girl in a schoolgirl girl uniform. Mm -hmm. But, spoiler alert here, big who plot twist. Suspiciously child aged. Yeah, well. And she's a college student. They specifically say that later, but. They're, they're yeah, their way to make her look like a prepubescent child, and it, they get into the fact that he was originally attracted to her when she was only a prepubescent <laughs> child. So it's yeah, but the the big turn is he's not actually raping her; he's just trying to get her clothes off so he can cut her open and burn something on the inside of her to death. <laughs> so you know, yeah. that's that's better than raping, right? Typical, typical I, stuff. Yeah. Which which brings us to the real elephant in the room that no one's touched on. Can we please talk about evil Canadian David Schwimmer? Because that's what that guy is, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, am I hallucinating? Like, every time I watch this movie, I'm like, what the fuck is... It, it's so off-putting how much he looks like David Schwimmer. It's weird. I didn't really connect that, but now that you've said it, I'll never watch the movie the same way again. So <laughs> I think we just found out who should start in this remake. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, what? David Schwimmer wasn't available? Yeah. Find David Schwimmer's evil Canadian stunt double. 
I, I wish I had pictures of the cast up in front of me so I could <laughs> compare them. I'll, not that I have a picture of uh, not that I have a picture of David Schwimmer up. But. I do. Oh, one of the things I I enjoy most about this particular film is there are a couple deaths in it that are legitimately like kind of fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> Where you're like, oh, fuck. And usually you don't get a lot, especially in American horror movies, you don't get a lot of pitiable horror movie deaths. It's usually either awesome or it's somebody who fucking deserved it or, you know, it's fucking teenagers. All teenagers deserve to die, so that's <laughs> relevant. I was raised on 80s horror movies. I know that rule. Fuck, fuck teenagers. <laughs> But when uh, evil David Schwimmer's uh, wife dies, that one you're like, ah, fuck. <laughs> like, I've seen this movie ten times. I'm still rooting for it to get out of the damn place. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Killed, killed by Barbara Hershey with an evil lesbian kiss? Yeah, see? Kisses a lesbian? Dead. Possessed <laughs> by evil. Well, I'll take, it. I'll take your point a step further, too, though, because there are some really good moments when I think when the doctor is like having to go from doctor to you know action movie hero and he has to start shooting other people that live in his building I think there are some good moments where they sort of stop and he's like there's one where I think his I think it's his wife that the guy's trying to rape in a car and he just has to shoot him in the back several times to get him to stop and I mean it's probably the right move in the circumstances but you can tell it's a difficult thing for him to do which kind of it makes him a more likable character but it also gives that feeling of realness and that, that sort of like oh these are human beings doing these things not just mm-hmm. not not the cardboard cutout characters from the 80s horror movie yeah and by that point he's figured out like kind of what's going on yeah so it's heartbreaking just because he's like oh not larry yeah it's not, it's not larry's fault god damn it and I don't know if his name's Larry. I'm just throwing a name out. There. No, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, is that this is actually something we didn't discuss, but it happens in Rabbit as well, where there's like a World Health Organization guy that comes in. And he's like, "We have to shoot these people," and he's like, well, "We don't shoot them; they're going to spread the disease." Like, it's not. We don't want to do it. And it's like it's the same sort of thing here, but it's on a slightly more personal level because it's a mm. it's, the doctor is shooting these people. They'd all be his patients, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's probably seen most of these people in his office at least once or twice. Yeah, that's that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are the what are the most interesting things about this movie is it is pretty easy to correlate this movie with the, the AIDS epidemic. Well, it happened before mm-hmm. the AIDS epidemic, so it's yeah. bizarrely predictive in a weird way. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Like, I mean, kind of with both of these films. Um, yeah, the weird correlation to like the AIDS epidemic and whatnot. Well, yeah, and I think that's what made made the AIDS epidemic so scary is that it it spread the way things in a horror movie would, right? Mm-hmm. Before people knew. Oh yeah, especially I think more in Rabbit, just because we do see sort of the widespread. Yeah. version of this but yeah i mean just the oh i really like this lady and sometimes we'd have sex now i have some weird slug in me that wants to make me pump somebody to death yeah now the the big difference being 
without invoking any conspiracy theorists. <laughs> the big difference here being that the slugs in question were just created on purpose, specifically mm -hmm. for this purpose. And essentially the reason this all happens is because they worked a little too well. Mm -hmm. uh, the doctor from the opening scene put the slugs in the schoolgirl. Um, he didn't realize really liked fucking. Well, no, but I think that's the whole point is the parasites made her really like fucking, right? Like that's, she became extremely promiscuous after he put those in, maybe to a ridiculous extent. Possibly. So he's, and that guy, what's really interesting is we, I guess when we get the plot reveal that, okay, so there's, there's the whole thing where they go back to the science office and they have the big long conversation, which is really well done, I think, where they're talking about different types of parasites and all this. Mm. And then they've, finally get to that point where the reveal is that he created this parasite on purpose he i mean the doctor was a huge piece to, to of create fucking alien orgy world <laughs> yeah like for all intents and purposes this guy was like a pedophile who was thinking like man i should just be allowed to do whatever i want sexually without consequence so since in today's society i can't i'm going to create a parasite that will destroy today's society and rebuild it in the image of a society where I can have sex with children freely. And that's, I mean, that guy is a monster. He's a horrible character. But by the time we find that out, he's been dead for 20 minutes in the movie. So our, our villain is dead before we know he's the villain. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting plot twist. And we're just left with these mindless monsters as our, as our villains, but again similar to rabbit these movies are very similar now that i'm thinking about it yeah. it's like there, there's really a bad guy here like there's i mean in this case they had one they killed them off in the opening scenes but you're not rooting necessarily for like the doctor character to kill somebody to cause the end of this movie mm -hmm. it's just it's just a shitty shitty situation that he's in and there's not really a good way out no matter how you look at it yeah really you just want him to get out of the building yeah, but then we don't really think about like okay when he gets out of the building, like what what's yeah, what yeah, then what's next? Yeah, because we what's, see like at the, the end, at the end of the movie, like I mean everybody gets infected, and then you see people just driving out in droves into the world. Yeah, to well, spread all the, this shit. The world's already fucked. I I actually think that the the ending, you know, while that's a cool 1970s ending, is mm. kind of pointless. Because it's already spread outside. Is one of the very first things that happened. He sent the old guy to that outside hospital to get X-rays oh, and stuff. That's a good point. Yeah. So that old guy would have, you know. And again, this is where Rabbit had a bit more of a budget, and the filmmaker was on a little bit more experienced and was able to just do that. He obviously wanted to maybe do it here, and had to had to write a script and direct his movie according to the resources he had access to. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so the the other homophobic moment I was wanting to talk about is obviously whenever he's running from the, uh, the gang of glazed-eyed psycho rapists who are attempting to slug him, uh, he comes across the two blatantly homosexual gentlemen in the hallway who he backs away from and backs into the room. Do you guys notice that the movie's intentionally ambivalent as to whether or not those guys are infected? Because they don't have the weird glaze-eyed, 
just coming straight for him thing. It's more like it was just two gay guys who were into him. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I did not pick up on it when I was watching the movie. I just assumed no. they were infected. Yeah, yeah, me neither. yeah and he, and he, you know he locks them out of the room and hides from them, assuming they're side <laughs> slug zombies. But they're not exactly acting like most of the slug zombies. Although there's no guarantee they're not slug zombies because you know a few people throughout the movie seem to have a little more uh, control arbitrarily. Well, I, th- I think it's reasonable to conclude that they are zombified, or whatever, if that's the term we're using, even though these aren't technically zombies. But um, it, it is interesting that he chose to leave them, what's the way to put it, like not not showing all the signs. Their, their main symptom of being <laughs> infected is the fact that they act gay, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, that they act horny, and they could just be two horny people. I mean, it would be weird if there's a scene in the middle of this movie where two gay guys just stumble across, have no idea any of this is happening, and they're just like, hey, it's the doctor. Nice. Like, that's that would be a weird moment to have, and I don't think this film would do that, but it See, is but like... I do think Cronenberg's the type of person who would totally do that, just to put it I in think, there so that people would talk about it. Yeah, and again, I think he's pushing boundaries in every way imaginable with this film. Um, there is, oh. I mean... We've we've already like okay so we've got the homosexuality which again, yeah the the ramp up so so yeah the last one they ramp up the violence this one the violence ramps up but the taboo ramps up yeah like we we hit homosexuality we hit incest we hit child sex we hit all those things that anything you could possibly imagine they managed to incorporate it in this film um, and it's it's clearly designed to make the audience squirm in their seat to make people. It doesn't matter who you are, whatever you whatever you consider too far. This film is trying to get there. Yeah. The little the little girl in the elevator is pretty fucking intense. It's pretty upsetting. Yeah. And the two little girls on the dog leashes toward the end of the movie that you see <laughs> in the second you're like, holy shit! Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just really yeah. I really enjoy this movie. Just like all the visuals you're talking about, I'm like, see, that's that's just like a beginning filmmaker that's just like, you know what, fuck it, Let's, we're gonna put children on leashes, we're gonna have this really fucked up elevator scene, and maybe he wouldn't go that far, like in Rabid, but I don't know. There's yeah. something just sort of raw that I enjoy with that. I oh, like yeah. I like the fact that Cronenberg does all of the things that exploitation movies do in general, but he does them, like, with purpose. Oh, yeah. Instead of just, I'm gonna put tits in it because tits are awesome, he's like, I'm gonna put tits in it because this terrible thing's getting ready to happen and I want them looking at the tits. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it's like, I wanna, I wanna sort of uh, draw them in with the nudity and then something fucking horrible's gonna happen and they're gonna be like, no, but there was boobs and now you've ruined it. Like, ah, uh, here's a moment of safety, and now an old man makes out with his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's exactly right. Everything that happens, happens for a reason. And that's what makes this, like, a good movie as opposed to just a fun exploitation movie. Because um, every moment of the film feels like it's going to pay off later. And it's, mm-hmm. even though a lot of, like, I mean, we do see, like... <laughs> hard to say aloud, but we see a worm go up a vagina in this movie. It, it does happen. But again, like that's it, 
all part of it. It's all part of trying to make us horrified at what we're looking at and trying to make us feel like, oh my god, I'm so scared for what would happen if this was real. I think we can all just agree that Cronenberg's a genius. And then 10 years later, it was real. <laughs> just, once again, real fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, no, Cronenberg's a genius. He may also be a pervert. That could be a problem, but it's fine. <laughs> but I feel like he's almost like, I want to say like Sigmund Freud. Like he knows he can tap into this weird deviant sexual thing that pretty much exists in different levels in just about everybody. Yeah. And then he sort of draws that out of people and then you just sit there going, what the fuck? And that's what causes people to sort of uh, have like a response to just about all those movies. I, I agree with that. And he even does that in his later films where he gets into doing he's a drama filmmaker now mm-hmm. but he still does that he still touches on these weird taboos just to get you kind of thinking and it's it i think it is i think he's very smart as a filmmaker and he knows even in these early films he knew right away like you don't have to tell the audience stuff you got to make them think about it for themselves and that's going to draw them into the film more and he, mm-hmm. he does that extremely well yeah well anything else about shivers other than it's fucking awesome did, did we mention the cool slugs? <laughs> they are, you know what? They are, and there's a lot of slug gags, and they're all a, good. Yeah, like, because we did a movie called Slugs, which in, in a lot of ways, plot-wise, was very similar. Um, and, yeah, these slugs look cool. Like, if... Like, let's say you you had just made this movie had been made by like a worse filmmaker, and it was mm-hmm. just that dumb exploitation movie where the, the tits were just there because people like looking at them. And this would still be a good movie on that level. The slugs are great to look at. They act kind of funny, which is interesting. Like <laughs> when the one tries to get the old lady and it's going up her walker, I'm like, that's that's great <laughs> stuff right there. And the old man throws it down the garbage chute. So now the poor doctor has to go down to the basement and go through the garbage. Yeah, the one stuck in the mouse slot trying to get the kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I think the, I think the one lady's umbrella. <laughs> oh yeah, that one's awesome. I think the I one, think the one in the bathtub with Barbara Hershey, I, like the way it moves in the water. I think it's just. It looks yeah, great. I don't know how they job. pulled off that effect. Like, yeah, you would assume CGI today, but I don't think they used seventies computers for that. <laughs> Um, anything else before we move on? No, we should have just ended it when you said Cronenberg's a genius. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I've been, the last, like, week I've been super busy. I haven't gotten anything fucking done. It's like I've been going to work and stuff, but I've been doing anything productive like watching movies. It's kind of annoying. Well, Although, in my endless research about uh, moving away from the horrible place that I live, 
I did find out something sad about your country. I could never move there. Why is that? Uh, because my lady friend's daughter's autistic. And you guys will not allow families with special needs family members to immigrate to Canada. I don't think that's entirely true. That's, that is true, as far as I've seen it. Must be a way. One of those weird restrictions. It's, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's because of your wonderful free health care. They just don't want to be flooded with... Uh, well, yeah, and that's what I'm thinking. There must be a way like where you'd have to like sign off on your paying for your own health care kind of thing for the first however many years until you're part of the system. Yeah, but if I understand it, it's a, it's just a no-go. You guys, as you, the can, Canadian immigration is actually more restrictive than American immigration is, but... You know, you guys' immigration laws are rational, while ours have to do with you being brown or not. Yeah, our, our immigration, that's the thing, is like our immigration is not, we don't just like let everybody in. It's just whether you're allowed in or not is based on a rational, logical reason that yeah. isn't hate filled. So. Although the special needs thing broke my heart, I was like, oh, oh man, <laughs> that was one of my options. I've lost an option. We did have like, a, there was a thing a while ago. I can't remember where they're from. There's like a bunch of people that tried to claim refugee status, and they were all like, might have been AIDS. They all had something like that. And they were here for some like conference or something, and then they all tried to claim refugee status because there was no way to do They weren't from America, they were from somewhere else. Like it was like somewhere in Africa or something where like they just still didn't believe AIDS was a real disease. So they were kind of saying like, there's no such thing as doctors where we're from. If you send us back, we'll all die. It's like, well, yeah, but we can't just let everybody who's sick from other countries come here. There's got to be a, there's got to be a way around this. There's got to be a system where we're not all just you know, paying to save everybody in the world who's not a part of our system. Yeah, I actually had that conversation with somebody because they were like, "Oh, it's bullshit," and I was like, "No, I kind of understand it." <laughs> like, like, you gotta, be, there's got to be a, like, I don't know the. I don't know all the intricacies of it, but you got to find a way to say like, yeah, like we don't want to say we don't want sick people here, but we can't just have every sick person in the whole world move here. The rest of us are just covering it. And you're never going to have a job because you move here. You're already like immediately qualified for disability or whatever. See, yeah, but see me and the lady front would be working. We'd be paying taxes, yo. Yeah. That's two people. Two people paying taxes versus one person who will never pay taxes. You do understand that. It's not me you have to convince, right? Are you sure? Pretty sure. The population's pretty small. Pretty sure you know the... the what's plausible. Plausible I know the guy. <laughs> Somehow it's Doug's fault. Damn you, Doug. No one's complaining about how he's not allowed to move to Canada. Eh, I can't move to Canada. Why not? Because my daughter, uh, my uh, lady friend's daughter's autistic, and uh, Canada, you cannot immigrate if you have a special needs family member. Gotcha. Well, I mean, technically, you could go. Well, yeah, but that, I would be a monster if I did that. So. Like, sorry, sure. And then I, and then I wouldn't be worthy of Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, a fun little twist. Eh? It's all a game. It's like if you try to come without the special needs family, we don't let you in either because well, we don't want people who would do that. So I'm saying I would be even more American. That's what I don't want to be. Like you're obviously a dick, eh? Get out. 
probably fuck up anyway. My first week there, it's not that I'd go into a bar and they'd be like, you want a Molson? I'd be like, no, nah, I don't like Molson. They'd be like, get out! <laughs> out of our country! Well, it'd be more like, uh, get out, please. I'm gonna set you adrift. Set you adrift? You know there's not an ocean between our countries, right? I know. It's a joke from the South Park episode. Okay. Yeah, Doug. I don't watch South Park. It's not my fault. I don't either. I didn't know that. The South Park joke. That's the that's the you're not my friend, buddy episode that there were lots of memes about. I saw, I still don't know what that means. Through the whole episode, there's this running joke where Canadian arguments all devolve into the same argument where somebody's going, "Shut up, friend!" and he goes, "I'm not your friend, buddy," because I'm not your buddy, guy. I'm not your guy, friend. <laughs> Seems about right from what does, I know of Canada. It does sound like us. <laughs> yeah, the most impolite thing you can say is that we're not friends. And then you feel really bad about it. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. Unless somebody says something about your favorite hockey team and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> the stereotypes are there for a reason. None of that is entirely unrealistic. <laughs> that that whole episode's the episode that's about Canada going on strike. And so they bring in like uh I'm trying to remember what it is, the the Dutch, I think, <laughs> as scabs for the Canadians. And they're like, hey, we're pretty close to the Canadians, eh? Find this really very racist. <laughs> All right, did anybody watch anything since last week? I only watched Oon Thing. What did you watch? <laughs> did you just practice your French just in case they change the rules on immigration? Uh, is is Un French? Yeah. What did you think it was? What language did you think you were speaking? I, I figured I was speaking bad Spanish. That's Uno. I know. I said bad Spanish. Un is, yeah, Un, de toi. That's French. Eh, toi. Brian's loaded. Yeah, I took I took French in high school. I just said the three words that I kind of remember, but well, lottie fucking dumb, Mister Frenchman. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll wave at you from across the border. Sense bitches. All right, what did you uh, watch? I watched uh, the Voices, starring Ryan Reynolds, mm. oh, yeah. which which was billed as a dark comedy, although. Pretty fucking light on the comedy. Oh, I assumed it was going to be heavier on the comedy. No, <laughs> I. It's like I get, I get why it's called a dark comedy because there's a lot of humor in it. But even the stuff that's being funny, if you stop to think about the joke, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> Because the entire so the entire movie is uh, kind of through the perspective of Ryan Reynolds' character, who at first just seems like a real nice but kind of awkward guy. In uh, the movie, seems pretty highly stylized. Like you know, he works at a uh, company that ships bathtubs. I do believe is what they do. <laughs> but you know, bathtubs. Yeah. Yeah, he works in a warehouse that delivers bathtubs. That's that's what it seems like, anyway. But 
everything's real bright and clean looking. And he, like, there's these high color contrasts where like his uniforms like neon fucking pink and all this kind of stuff. And as you move further in, you find out that he's got some mental problems. And then as you move further in, you find out that he's fucking schizophrenic and he's off his meds. And and so the dark comedy part of the movie pretty much comes from the fact that the two other main characters, quote fingers, are his cat, his dog, who talked to him. Okay. Uh, and slowly but surely, he accidentally kills someone. I like that that was phrased by like a question. Well, because it, it's it's questionable if he accidentally killed them, but. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he accidentally killed him because the it, part of the problem with the movie and part of the thing that makes the movie a good movie is that it's unreliable narrator because everything's through his perspective of the world, so you don't know what's real and what's him believing it's real. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like some stuff's obvious, like every once in a while, like you know he sees like magical butterflies, like it's a cartoon or something like that but at one point after accidentally killing the first victim and uh, chopping up her body and putting it into tiny Tupperware dishes which all looks very clean by the way it's all once again it all looks very fine like even though he's hacking up a body and stuff it's not upsetting he decides to go back on his medication and you it shifts and you see what his apartment actually looks like <laughs> and you know there's like blood all over the place and there's a fucking moldering severed head in his refrigerator and like it's you know just disgusting and dark and drab and then of course he goes back off the meds again because he doesn't want to deal with that because he's all upset and it that kind of sounds like a really interesting movie yeah it ends up playing out as almost like uh, a horror movie crossed with a tragedy pulled from the perspective of the killer who is actually a pretty pitiable character like you, you, for the most part you just fucking feel sorry for him because you get that all the bad things he's doing he's not doing them because he's like malicious he's just fucking out of his board he doesn't quite connect with reality right hmm. yeah but it's a really, 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 really good fucking movie, and I'm glad I accidentally watched it. Yeah, I mean, it's been around for a while. Like, as far as like I've seen it, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what that's about. And I've just never pulled the trigger. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that type of movie. I was thinking it was more comedic. That's why I've kind of stayed. Yeah, it's it's advertised as adult Doctor Doolittle, like rated R Doctor Doolittle. Because that's even what the description of the movie is. And then we started watching it, and of course, there ends up being blood and guts, so the girlfriend was real upset that she picked it. <laughs> but so This is after she sat through some Cronenberg movies? Uh, before she had to sit through Cronenberg movies. Because we watched it with our son while we were visiting him last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> you might be moving to Canada alone after all. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just, I mean, it, it's its hard to explain 
I'm a little on the fence with the ending because there's like an extra scene after the end of the movie that I think is supposed to lighten the tone of how kind of dreary the ending of the movie is. And I'd kind of rather it just end on the downbeat than the uh, attempting this weird upbeat at the very end. Interesting. But it's it's super good. High I recommend. I'm a little sad I didn't see it sooner. I have a feeling I'm gonna end up watching that one. Yeah, I have no idea. The for the life of me, their marketing for that movie sucks because it is not advertised as what that movie is, and that movie's really fucking good. And if they had actually advertised it as what it is, I think more horror people would be going for it faster. Well what I'm curious about is like what kind of reaction it's getting from people who want to see it based on the marketing. That's what I'm saying. They probably don't like it, which is probably why it, like... I would assume getting traction, you know what I mean? Interesting. It sounds It sounds like, you know, if you're in the mood for that kind of thing, that it's, it could be a really good movie. There's a lot of potential there. Mm-hmm. Just saying, trying to think of, like, what kind of, what kind of movie that that would remind me of. I had like a May sort of thing in my head as Noah was describing it. Kinda. In a, in a way, I think it's a little, uh, it's a lot more it, and it's gonna sound weird saying it because May's pretty stylized. I think it's a lot more stylized than May is. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, you guys have seen Munchies before, right? Forever ago. But it's on, it's on our list at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the ones that I can think of to compare it to because everything, like I said, because it's being told from his his perspective, everything looks believably unrealistic. Mm. Is a good way to call it. I don't, hard to explain. No, no I you don't you don't suspect anything's wrong until the movie shows you that there's reasons to suspect that there's something wrong. Yeah, I'll check it out. Sounds like Doug's going to watch it this week. Probably as soon as we get off this call. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I say I'm going to watch a lot of things. It's on, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Well, That's the only reason I've heard of it is because it shows up on Netflix. Uh, did you watch anything this week, Doug? I literally watched nothing this week. So. Literally nothing? Uh, yeah, I started to watch a movie called Dark, and I got distracted and never finished it. Mm. So I couldn't even tell you if it's a good movie or not. I don't know yet. <laughs> so now it's going to sit in that continue watching thing on Netflix uh, forever, because I'll never go back to it now. It's been too long. Yeah, you've gone too far. <clears throat> what about you? Well, I watched one movie, and then I guess two TV shows that I could talk about. Um, so I've been, I listened to this podcast called the pure cinema podcast, which, uh, one of the hosts is also on one of my favorite podcasts, shockwaves, which I've talked about on here before. Yep. Um, and I've heard them talking about the movie cruising, which I never really had a big, big interest in. I had heard of it. I kind of sort of knew what it was about. But really wasn't like, you know, chomping at the bit to watch it or anything. Uh, but then I heard them talking about it and I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. I'd probably be interested in checking it out. So I watched that. Uh, that was depressing as fuck. 
That's the Al Pacino one, right? Where he's uh, yeah. Of the sex clubs. Yep. Um, like it's a great movie, but oh my god, you want to kill yourself by the time it's over. Um, yeah. So Al Pacino is a cop that goes undercover because there's a serial killer that's killing uh, gay men from uh, essentially from like the leather bars and stuff in New York. And so he has to go sort of undercover uh, as a gay man. Rest deep undercover. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, as a gay man and sort of infiltrate these uh, uh, leather bars, like I said, and sort of see if he can suss out who has been uh, killing these guys and trying to gather information and stuff. Um, like I said, it's really good. But man... It takes you into this weird underbelly of just him. Essentially, I mean, he's got to go to, like, these deep, dark places to see if he can find this guy. And he's a cop who, he's not really, I mean, he's not against it, obviously. He's just a regular street cop. And this he's being offered to go undercover because he essentially fits the profile of the type of guys that the killer has been killing. Like he has the same looks and like body build and stuff like that. And they basically tell him like, look, you do this undercover job and this will very quickly shoot you up the ranks uh, for detective and stuff. Like you'll be able to almost bypass like five to 10 years of experience that you normally have to have before you can move up to detective rank. So he's doing this as like a job motivation. But then, yeah, he, he's thrust into this world. And uh, I use the word thrust. Maybe that's a horrible pun. <laughs> but, uh, into this world that he's not really comfortable with, doesn't really know anything about. And his girlfriend's played by Karen Allen. And he basically is like, look, I got to go do this undercover thing. I can't tell you anything about it. And you're probably not going to see me for a while. But, you know, if I do this, then, like, it's going to be super great for my career and all this stuff. So it's just something I have to go do. And so he goes, infiltrates this sort of underworld that he's n- has no experience in. Um, gets into just a bunch of weird experiences that he's not used to. Trying to sort of stalk this guy who he thinks might possibly be the guy, but he's not sure. And yeah, the movie just takes you into like this this uh, world that back then had definitely not been shown on screen before. So it's very abrasive, just very like in your face. Like, yep, this is this is the world this guy's going into. And if you're not like sort of just open to just like experiencing something like that, I can see you just walking away being like, oh shit, like what the fuck did I just watch? But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if <laughs> it would be like a long time before I would ever watch it again. Uh, but didn't know until I was looking up information that this is sort of based on like a a true, not a true story, but there was like a series of killings of gay men around this time. And some guy wrote like a book on it or whatever. So they took that idea of the book and essentially turned it into this movie. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's very interesting to sort of 
watch this guy dive into this world that he absolutely knows nothing about. And as a viewer, I didn't really know a whole lot about. And I'm just imagining, because this is like 80, 1980, 81. Um, so I'm just imagining like an audience trying to watch this like in a movie theater and being like, what the fuck? I have no idea. This is messed up. We should have just watched a Cronenberg movie instead. Pre- pretty much. Yeah. And and the 80s were known as one of the least homophobic decades. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I can just imagine, you know, because it's William Friedkin. So I can imagine like, oh, I, I love The Exorcist and I love Al Pacino. I bet I'd enjoy this movie. This cop going undercover. And then you see a dude getting... Uh, fisted in the butt so suddenly you're like wait what am i watching and then you know you have to go outside and beat somebody up to prove you're still a man or something i don't know yeah i think that's how you handle it yeah that's that's the healthy way to do it i'm sure other people handled it in a less healthy manner yeah i mean it was the 80s i figured yeah you just went out and bullied somebody who you deemed lesser than you and you felt better about yourself uh no but like i said it's I thought it was amazing. Al Pacino was fantastic in it. Um, I just thought it was a really interesting story. Didn't really know much about it before I watched it, other than hearing it was Al Pacino undercover in gay clubs. I uh, didn't realize it was like leather bars and very like S&M type stuff. So, uh, yeah. I mean, if if you're looking for a movie to jump into, about maybe a subject you don't know a whole lot about, um, don't don't prejudge the listeners. Some of them might be right down with it. No, I'm sure they. Yeah, you know, I'm sure our listeners are. I'm just saying, I had I don't really know that much about that scene, and I found it fascinating to to sort of go along on this ride with Al Pacino. Like I don't know anything about this either, and just having to watch him sort of navigate like this this culture that he knew nothing about. Yeah, I was gonna say if you don't know what the term leather bar means, yeah. You're probably jumping into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. And I even did know what a leather bar meant, and I was still just like, whoa! That dude just greased his hand up with Crisco and shoved it up that dude's ass. I don't know what the fuck's going on in this movie. Uh, Just to spare anybody, you don't actually see it, but you see the implication of that's what's happening. You see enough. You see a Caligula level. So, but yeah. Interesting movie. I'd recommend watching it. Just be ready for what you're seeing and then being kind of depressed afterwards um let's see the show i had been super excited about castle rock came out this week uh and to my surprise they dumped the first three episodes on the first day i have which is i've been hearing bad things give me some good news oh i've been i haven't been hearing anything bad i really enjoyed it um so it's set in the, of course, the town Castle Rock, which is made famous by Stephen King. A lot of his books from uh, the first half of his career were set there. Um, uh, probably the most famous being like The Dead Zone and Cujo. Uh, and while this show does not take any of those actual stories and make them like the focus of the show they do use castle rock as a setting and 
through lots of Easter eggs, you find out that, yes, all the stories from his early books have happened in this town. Um, you have someone, you know, looking through uh, old articles, and of course, you, somebody had like collected, um, what's his name? Uh, Locke from Lost and the Stepfather movies. Terry O'Quinn. He plays the warden of Shawshank Prison. And uh, there's a crazy event towards the beginning of the show that I won't spoil, but. So this other guy's going through some of the newspaper clippings in his office, and of course you see the one of, about the rabid dog that ravaged the town. Um, the article about how an anonymous tip led to uh, people finding a boy's body by the railroad tracks back in the 60s. Uh, there's uh, a very passing mention of like uh, a weird curio shop, of course, all the needful things. Um, See, that's that's what I was wondering about. It. So it's set after needful things. Yes, because at the end of needful things, isn't the whole fucking town destroyed? Basically, uh, not necessarily. It's basically that was um, the last Castle Rock book, right? Correct. It was deemed as the last Castle Rock book. We've. Return to Castle Rock a couple times, but it's never... Like, the whole town didn't explode and there was a giant hole in the ground or anything. Basically, he just, like, destroyed the spirit of this town and uh, the inhabitants there or whatever. But you get, you get the implication, like, that this town has been broken. Sort of... It's almost like a... They describe it as, like, a dead town. Uh, imagine if, like, a giant... Um, factory or something went out of business and like a town just sort of like economically died. So you mean like Decatur? Yes. <laughs> um, that's sort of how they portray it, but they do they don't shy away from the fact that yeah, I mean there was some crazy shit that happened here, like we had a, a guy on the police force that turned out was a serial killer, was strangling women and you know, a rabid dog killed our sheriff and stuff like that. Um, Scott Glenn's in it. There's uh, vampires. That was over the vampires. That was Salem's Lot. Get it right. <laughs> Although, isn't is, is Jerusalem's Lot supposed to be uh, that, a neighboring town? Isn't it supposed to be like right down the road? Uh, I mean, it's not too far, but they don't they don't mention it or nothing. Um, so the main plot actually is that um, in Shawshank. Shawshank is like a main location of the show, which I thought was kind of cool. They go down to this floor that has not been used for a long time. There was like a fire or something. So they just sort of shut that level off of the jail and don't ever use it anymore. Uh, But they go down to check something out and they discover that there is a man that has been trapped in a cage for who knows how long down there. And so they take him, uh, and he's played by Bill Skarsgård, who played Pennywise in the It movie. Um, so they take him up to, like, the main holding, and they're trying to figure out, like, kind of what to do with him. And sort of the main mystery then revolves around, like, okay, well, who is this guy? Where do they come from? Why was he in a cage in the basement? Nobody seems to know. 
and then there's some weird sort of underlying secret about it. Uh, and, you know, it's only three episodes, so we haven't fully jumped into kind of what that's going to play out to be yet. Um, Scott Glenn's in it, like I mentioned, and he's actually playing Alan Pangborn, which was the main sheriff in Evil Things and was also played by Ed Harris in the Evil Things movie. And he was also played by Michael Rooker in the uh, the Dark Half movie. Um, and he's a retired sheriff, and you know he's he knows something that happened, and there's just like a bunch of mysteries. There's a bunch of secrets in this town, and the as the series unfolds, we're just going to start seeing a lot of that come to light, and what that means, and how it may be connected to this weird guy that was just discovered in the bottom of this prison. So, so far, I'm, I'm loving it. I don't know why people would be complaining about it. I don't, I don't know, but I've seen maybe 10 people post about it, and every single one of them were acting like they hate it. Half of them were saying, I didn't even make it through the first episode. Well, then they're stupid. I just don't know like what they would expect it to be and what they would want to get out of it then. I don't know what anybody was expecting it to be, seeing how they didn't fucking tell you anything about it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Fucking J.J. Abrams. Yeah, but I had heard interviews with, like, the, the, uh, I don't know, I guess they call them the co-creators. That's not J.J. Abrams. But sort of the guys, the showrunners that are in charge of it. And they basically talk about that um, they wanted to build this town that's famous in the Stephen King books. And, you know, has been through all of this stuff such as Cujo and Evil Things and Dead Zone and, like, all that stuff. And sort of see, like, how that town, how the town has turned out, like, sort of living with that legacy for the past 30 years or whatever. And sort of where that town would be at now and just what other weird shit could be happening. So you get some, you know, characters that cross over from the books, but they're not, like, the main focus and stuff like that. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'm really enjoying it. There's 10 episodes total. So, I'm curious to see sort of where it goes and how it ends up. So, do you think that people who maybe aren't as deep a Stephen King nerd as you are are going to be able to follow it? Or is it like oh, yeah, totally. It's just going to... No, totally. I mean, the, the, the other stuff is just sort of ancillary. Um they just point out that basically there's something wrong with how this town has um, uh, how this town just deals with its past and I mean you could and a lot of that's going to unfold on the show like what some of the secrets are about this town and why shit seems to go wrong here and stuff and you know a lot of it's not going to have to do with like Cujo or any of that kind of stuff it's definitely got its own story, but if you're a Stephen King fan, even I would say moderately, like you know, if you've only ever watched like Cujo, like the big movies that sort of have become famous from Stephen King, I think it's enough that you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I know what that's from, and wouldn't have a problem like following it. Sounds like it could be very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Yep, I'm I'm happy with it. I'm excited to see where it goes. If you don't like it, oh well. I love it. So, fuck off. Don't watch it. I'm just glad to hear somebody <laughs> say something good about it. I was like, oh man, I was really excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know like what they like what they would complain about and what they were expecting to get out of it. Uh, and even like. Okay, Doug. Since you were, since you asked, you know, if like a casual fan could kind of get into it, um, Amanda loves the movie Shawshank Redemption, and obviously Shawshank plays a big role in this TV series. <clears throat> they made a mention about something about the one of the old wardens or whatever, and she got super excited because since she loved Shawshank Redemption, she knew exactly what they were talking about. And then later on, they show sort of a wall that has a picture of all the old wardens. And they actually got the same actor who played the warden, like in the movie. Oh, really? So his picture is up on the wall. So you're like, oh, so this, like, essentially Shawshank Redemption, the movie, like, counts in this universe. <laughs> that means there's a chance we're going to get Morgan Freeman popping in. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, so, Andy. So they're taking just, like, little little things like that that i mean could just be like oh well, we can just put anybody up there like it'll be fine like nobody will even care but they made it the point like no let's go get the actor that played the warden we'll just put his picture up on the wall and that'll be enough like we don't have to like point it out and be like hey eh? eh, see and that was enough for amanda to get like super excited that's actually pretty cool yeah so yeah i'm enjoying it i Interested to see how it unfolds. And uh, the cool thing is uh, Hulu is also putting essentially like a four-minute sort of making of about each episode up as the episodes go up. So you can watch the episode and then go watch this little four-minute thing with the, the showrunners, and they sort of explain like, yeah, we really wanted to sort of include this nice little uh, you know, Easter egg here. Uh, we felt like this aspect from the Stephen King universe would really play a good part here and like just sort of them showing how they piece together like all this stuff but still try to make it accessible for people who weren't like devoted Stephen King fans and stuff so it's interesting I'm excited to see where it goes um, and then the last thing I watched which I posted I watched right before we started recording um, I completely forgot that Sasha Baron Cohen's new TV show had started. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I got like 45 minutes to kill before we record. And so I turned on his uh, Who is America, which is his new Showtime show. Yeah. Which is basically the section of Borat where he just got people to say horribly racist things because that's actually what they believed. And he somehow conned them into just showing their true feelings on camera. And that's pretty much his entire show. He's managed to get one state representative to have to resign. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been watching the, the clips on YouTube for that. Mm -hmm. pretty impressive. Uh, so we were watching it, and he played four different characters on this one, interviewing real people. We got about halfway through, and Amanda, Amanda full-on said, like, I can't, I can't 
Like, I'm not going to watch the show with you. And I'm just like, what? And she's like, this is... I think she was disturbed just by the the people that he was interviewing. And I'm like, no, these are real people. This is actually what they believe. And she's like, I know. I just, I can't, I, I can't do that's it. The, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the first one, so what was his first character? I mean, shit got so crazy. I even forgot what the first segment was. So far, the gun, the Israeli gun guy is the one who seems to get everybody. Oh, my God. That was that was the last one. He got, uh, so he got this guy who is well-known. They show clips of him on CNN or whatever. He's very much for the, like, we need to arm all the teachers in the schools. So Sasha Baron Cohen dressed up as this uh, Israeli guy who's an anti-terrorism like expert or something. <clears throat> so he's like interviewing this guy and he is floating the idea that they need to start training children as early as kindergarten to carry guns in school. And he calls this program the kindergartians. And so he basically gets this guy to agree the idea of training children as young as five to start, uh, essentially military training and to carry guns in school. And this guy's totally for it. Like he's all about it. He loves this idea. He thinks it's great. Um, and of course he start ragging on how all the liberals want to get rid of guns and stuff like that. And he just goes on and on and on about it. He convinces this guy to shoot an episode of the show that's aimed at children to encourage them to, uh, to, I don't know, know how to shoot and stuff. And so they pull out guns that have like stuffed animals, like essentially stretched over the gun to make it look like a toy. So it's like a gun with like a puppy head on the top of it. And they start telling them like, well, if a really bad man comes at you, just pull this trigger and out of the puppy mouth will come like, you know, something that'll make them take a long nap. And this guy's like totally like 100% in. Like he's bully it's like sesame street if in our the nra put out sesame street videos it is completely insane and they start singing the song of yeah showing showing kids how to load a gun how to take yes. the safety off of a gun yeah it's it's like well sometimes your puppy gets hungry and you want to take his lunchbox which they show as the clip and put it into his belly like this and then if a bad man's come up comes at you just you know, pull the trigger and the puppy will shoot out of his mouth, like, and stop the bad man. And they start singing this song about head, shoulders, not the toes. And I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm sitting there with like my, my mouth open, and this guy's like full, on, fully on board, loves the idea, thinks it's great. So then they keep going with this character. He's like, well, now I'm going to go to Washington and see which senators I can get because he plays like. He never breaks character. There's never like Sasha Baron Cohen looking into the camera and be like, look, we're going to dupe these people into doing this. They play it completely straight, like Borat, essentially. And so it shows him going to Washington to try to rally up support for like this idea of kindergartians. And there's one uh, representative from Florida who basically says, so you want me to say that on camera that this i this idea of 
kindergartens arming, you know, young children with guns that I support this. And he's like, oh, yeah, essentially that's that's what I want. And he's like, I don't think any senator would uh, say that on camera without knowing what this program's about and reading more about it. Well, smash cut to like five senators endorsing this <laughs> into the camera, completely reading what he what the script off the prompter that they gave them, which included how children, uh, since they don't haven't developed a conscience yet, won't feel bad about killing somebody if they have to, and start saying stuff like. Um, well, they have a chemical in their brains called Blink-182 that keeps children calm and stuff under pressure and uh, says I don't know, something about Wiz Khalifa in there. So these senators have no fucking clue what they're even talking about. They're literally just reading what they were told to read off this prompter. And since it's pro-gun, they were totally all about it. And this is like one like 10-minute segment of the show. Yeah. He shows like all of it. And of course, there is one guy who's like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. It is insane. Um, some of them are a little less horrible. That's sort of like, that was the last one of the episode. This other one, he plays a uh, an ex-con who just got out of prison and is going to this lady that owns this fine art gallery and essentially tells her that while he was in prison, he found out that he could paint with his own shit and that people in prison were telling him that it was really good. And so he felt like this might be his sort of career after coming out of prison. And basically just pointing out how idiotic like fine art people are because she was all about it. She's like, oh, this is fantastic. You paint with your own feces. Like this is amazing this would sell like you know create like crazy in a fine art gallery and all this stuff and just starts telling her like all these crazy things and she just fully goes on board with it but then at the very end like i think this was the part where amanda started being like i can't watch this these people are freaking weird and stupid for even agreeing to show up on this show he convinces her that he collects pubic hair of famous artists and asked her if she will contribute to his pubic hair collection, which she gleefully does on camera. That's weird. <laughs> yes. It is fucked up and just crazy. Um, another one, he plays like a guy who seems very much like a hippie liberal. Like he's wearing like an NPR shirt. His, uh, it shows him biking everywhere. And his bike helmet is essentially the uh, pussy hat. But made into bike helmet form. Uh, talking with like these two, some, uh, she's not a senator or congresswoman, but some like council representative for some, uh, something down in Atlanta or something. I don't know. She's very pro Republican. She helped rally for Donald Trump down in the South or whatever. Um, so he basically shows up, just tells her all these crazy things about. How they let, how they can't even fucking say it. How their daughter is just started administrating, so they use a menstrual flag. So essentially, sit on the American flag and just bleed all over it. And these people just completely like 
believe like everything he's saying and it's just go along with everything it's just it's amazing how easy it is for him just to get people on camera to just go along with what he's saying and not question it whatsoever it's baffling completely baffling the one where he tried to get Bernie Sanders right and after about five minutes Bernie Sanders was like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about this interview's done that yeah that was the that was the first one he's playing a very much a uh, yeah. Southern, like he had a Confederate flag as like his his logo or something on whatever show that he said it was, and uh, he was pointing out how, um, because Bernie Sanders essentially gave his stance on how, you know, the one percent control majority of the money and like all this stuff, and about how they if they tax the rich they could fund like healthcare and like all this stuff. And of course, Sasha Baron Cohen was like completely like against it, and so he showed he showed Bernie Sanders a diagram of how you can uh, well we need to raise the the ninety nine percent up into the one percent, and that way everybody's equal. And he showed him this weird mathematical diagram, and Bernie Sanders you could tell is just looking at it, and he basically says I I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. They, they didn't get, they didn't show him like saying like this interview is over or anything but they basically just showed him being very confused by whatever whatever this process this guy was talking about was supposed to be so he didn't actually come off too bad in the show he was just like I don't like none of this makes sense he didn't really buy into sort of uh, his character or whatever just didn't buy into what that guy was talking about um, which I think definitely shows that like Oh no! This guy actually like knows what he's talking about and won't just buy into a stance because it sounds like something their base would be into, like the other ones. I haven't watched episode two yet because I had to come down here and record. And Amanda's probably going to be asleep by the time I get upstairs, so that's probably what I'm going to be doing when I leave. It's both horrifying and hilarious at the same time. Yeah, the clips I've seen are pretty like it's like the. So like a lot of stuff he's done in the past with Borat or whatever, where you're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I understand that he's tricking these people a little bit into saying these things, but he's not forcing them and he's not putting the words no. in their mouth. Like they're coming up with this stuff, you know? No, he's essentially tricking them into telling the truth about how they truly feel about stuff. I mean, that one guy, he got him to scream uh, the N-word over and over and over and over and over and over yeah, I've been. I haven't watched the video, but I've seen that like article like all over. I'm gonna oh. assume he's on the next episode that I'm gonna watch. Dude, I've watched that clip. It's, and it's, yeah. He is literally got his pants down and he's like screaming racial epithets while backing up towards a guy, thinking this is a way to stop terrorism. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting yeah. to watch. Sasha, Sasha tells him that uh, Middle East, so you can chase them off by dropping trowel in resting your anus at their groin and gets the guy to demonstrate it. Yeah, didn't I read that he claimed afterwards that he was not going to resign because, you know, for whatever reason, but yeah, they had finally just kind of Originally he said he wasn't going to resign and then he's like, because he said he felt tricked because he, the only reason he went along with it is because of all these real threats that he gets and all that. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I mean, even if you're getting real threats, there's no real good reason why you would be 
I'm pretty sure the whole thing when the miniature clip of it came out, he said, I'm not resigning. He tricked me. This is all bullshit. And he preyed on my fear of terrorism. Hmm. And all this guy just stuff. And then once the episode actually dropped, he was like, I'm resigning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll I... run again for some other position to win. You guys do know that, right? Oh, he'll probably Trump get like a. No, Trump will just put him in the fucking cabinet. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, he's just going to get a job from Trump. He'll be. He'll be. Uh... Oh, he's got many great qualities. Many great qualities we need. And we'll just, you know... Ugh. Depressing myself now. But, I don't know. I, If anything, even if you don't agree with Sasha Baron Cohen and, like, his tactics or whatever, man, I just have to give him credit because that dude, number one, does not break character for anything. Which, I mean, even after Borat, like, that, of course, was very apparent, but... Just watching him in these situations, and he is completely like on his toes about stuff, able just to kind of improvise and move the conversation back and forth by however you know they react or something. He is, I've always kind of thought it, but just watching specifically this show, it's just amazing how easily he can he can just sort of drop himself into that situation and just let it let it ride and still have it turn out the way it does. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, Noah, so why don't you tell us what we're watching next week and why we're watching it next week? Uh, so, my my beautiful, loving, wonderful lady friend has had to watch a lot of gory movies in a row. And so she specifically asked me to tone it down. So we're going to tone it all the way down and do some... Uh, 80s uh, voice cartoons. <laughs> you know she's not part of the show, right? She's not required to watch these before we record. Yeah, we, we never said anything about you punishing her for your <laughs> decision to come on the show. We live in it. Well, here's, here's the thing. So normally I avoid making her watch the movies by I typically get up before she does on Saturdays and I watch my movies. But because we were out of town over the weekend and stuff, she's kind of stuck either going in the other room like a strange child or sitting while I watch terrible movies. <laughs> but so this time all she has to watch is uh, all of my beloved Transformers die and uh, <laughs> and uh, G.I. Joe pussy out over killing off all the G.I. Joes. <laughs> uh, so she gets to watch Noah cry because a cartoon character died. Oh man, <laughs> I remember being a child. That was rough. It was a rough time. Yeah. So unceremoniously. Uh, so I, don't, I I can't recall if you said the full thing or not, but yeah, we're watching the '80s cartoon movies of Transformers and GI Joe. Because that makes sense. That's what grown adults should do. Yeah. Watch that. Watch that, and then discuss it. <laughs> I've seen the G.I. Joe one so many times I probably really don't need to watch it but I'm still looking forward to watching it yeah wait till I tell Amanda I've been looking for an excuse to have her watch Transformers the movie just because I mean she's seen like the live action one and I keep telling her like you don't you don't understand the cartoon movie way better than the, the live action movie and it was made in the 80s so I don't even know how that's possible two, it has two strange scenes We'll get to those next week. <laughs> I'm 
I'm looking, I don't remember the Transformers one that well. I know it's the one that had an impact on most people, so I'm looking mm. forward to seeing it. I think it's 17 seven Transformers start dying. <laughs> uh, and it does not look bad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say something. I completely forgot what it was. Uh, you fools! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. lots of Noah doing uh, Cobra Commander impressions next week. So get yourself ready. Maybe make a drinking game out of it. Every time Noah says something like Cobra Commander voice, you got to take a drink. And every time Doug says Yo Joe, you got to do a shot. I just we're gonna end up gushing over the cast of a cartoon next week. Yes, know that has like Burgess Meredith, Don Johnson in it. Scatman Crothers, man. It's gonna be awesome. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.